Well, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Nick and Anna and worship band. Thank you, Heartland, for tuning in wherever you are. And if you made that commitment and that profession of faith, we love you. We're so excited for you. We want to welcome you into the family of God. Yes, here at Heartland, but more importantly, into his family as his beloved child, son, or daughter. It's awesome. Well, Heartland, as always, it is so great to be together wherever we are. Because church, as great as it is to gather for an hour on Sundays and in the building or on site, as great as that is, church is more than that. I think about a great theologian who once said, he, he's six, uh, you may have met him, Robbie Matthew has said, we love the church, we are the church, and we're going to church. I've been thinking about that this week, about God's heart for his church macro level and his church, his heart, his dream for our little church, Heartland Community Church. I gotta tell you, I believe Jesus wants to say, I love the church. You are the church. We are the church wherever we are. And what's happening right now, we're, we're still going to church. We are, we are uh, the verb in that sentence. We are uh, enacting what it means to be the people of God, the sons and daughters of our King, wherever you are. And so if there's a positive thing about this whole COVID season, it's that we've had to realize that church is more than a building or seats or people or someone on a stage or, or whatever. The church is all of us, everywhere, all the time, 24-7, 365. And it made me think of one of my favorite stories about the church being everywhere. And I've shared it before, but it's worth sharing again because it's so profound and powerful to me and, and might be for you as well. So two or three years ago, there was a series of just these great storms that happened overnight. And on one of those, the power went out in our little neighborhood for... for uh, at least 24, if not 48 hours. And so after kind of uh, blowing out the candle before going to bed personally, um, I, I went to bed Saturday night, woke up Sunday morning to prepare to come to church because it's the one day a week that I work. Just kidding. But I was here, it was 8.15 in the morning, and I get a call, a frantic call from my wife, Holly, and she just says, I'm sorry, but you need to come home right now. There's eight inches of water in our basement. And so I made plans to, you know, get every, all my responsibilities others were able to take care of, and I rushed home. And I know many of you have experienced what it's like to have water streaming in to your basement or to your property. It's such an unsettling sort of feeling. But by the time I got there, I saw the church in action. Before I arrived, there were a couple folks from the neighborhood. Thomas Badgett, he's a Heartlander who lives a, a street over. He was already there carrying uh, stuff from the basement to the upper uh, room out of uh, water's way. And uh, Kevin Morris was also there. He was like bailing water and squeegeeing it all into the spot. And about that time, Julie Morris invited the kids and Holly over for a hot breakfast. And then Karen Badgett took the kids and Holly and they just were able to get out for a few minutes as we were wrangling this problem. 
Soon after some others showed up to help, Tim Friend brought over a generator that allowed uh, us to, to pump out the water more quickly. And so by about, oh, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, we'd at least gotten the water out and we're trying to figure out what was next. And it was at that point, in gratitude, I was thanking Thomas and Kevin and the others, but I realized, oh, they had to miss going to church today. And so I just said that to Kevin. He was the last one there. I just said, man, thank you so much. And I'm so sorry that you had to miss going to your church this morning. And I'll never forget his response. He had this big grin on his face. And he said, no, man, today this is church. Today this is church. What a great story. What a great perspective. What a great experience because Kevin knows that God loves the church. Kevin knows that we are are the church. And as a part of that, we get the privilege of going and attending church together. But that's not all that church is. See, God loves the church. We are the church. And we are still going to church, even though what it looks like to go to church has changed. And so Heartland, today, this is church, but this isn't all that church is. And if we're honest, it may not be quite what we hoped for or expected this morning. You know, we had planned to regather for the first time, but as cases of COVID continued to climb and as counties and officials had begun to push pause around us, we decided it wise as well to push pause too. And for many, myself included, this unsettling out of sorts continues to persist. And living in a world that so often feels like crisis, it's doubly challenging when my spiritual family and my spiritual life also feels unsettled. And for you, it may exacerbate in what feels like crisis as well. And so that begs the question that I'm asking that likely you are asking What does God think about these times that we live in? What is Jesus' perspective on whatever crises we may be experiencing this day or this summer or this year? What do the scriptures say that might provide hope in the chaos and opportunity in the challenge? And here's what I think God wants to say to us today, using the words of that six-year-old theologian. Gosh, God, I love the church. You are the church. And how we're going to church will change in the season, but it doesn't take away from who you are, Heartland. And if anything, there may be increasing opportunities for something good I'm creating that you have yet to see. And so this week, as we trek through the book of Acts, we're beginning a new series that we're calling Revolutionary, The Jesus First Life. What does it look like to live revolutionary lives like Jesus did, like Paul did, like that first church did, especially as they're pursuing, uh, taking the good news of Jesus everywhere, further and further out to people who are less and less Christians and to places where people less and less are part of places of worship like the church. And so in this week in Acts chapter 16, Paul finds himself in Philippi, in Philippi, and he looks around and what he doesn't see is a synagogue. There aren't enough believers there to have any corporate house of worship. So Paul knows that God loves the church and 
Paul is advancing the church, but he knows, he and his companions know that if they're going to be and do church here in Philippi, it's going to change what it looks like. So I think we can learn a lot from this story and learn a lot in particular from Paul's interaction with this amazing woman named Lydia and the transformation that happens in her life and in her family and her extended family. And we pick this up in Acts chapter 16, just four or five verses, starting in verse 11. It says, we boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed in Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, which is modern day Europe, and a Roman colony. And we stayed there for several days. Well, on the Sabbath, we went a little ways outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer and sat down to speak to some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted Paul's message or accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my home. And she urged us until we agreed. And so here, Luke is uh, writing down their journeys, and he says some amazing things about Lydia. Just in this phrase in verse 16, or verse 14 of chapter 16, one of the women was Lydia of, from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. Three critical things about Lydia, Luke tells us here. First is that she is a significant leader. Well, how do we know that? In the book of Acts, there are a number of characters featured in Philippi, but only one is mentioned by name. That's Lydia. She became the first convert and the first church leader. The first church met in her home, and she is known as the person who brought leadership to that first church in Philippi. Second thing we see is that she is a successful businesswoman. She sells luxury textiles made of this exquisite purple Tyrian cloth. And so we know from this that she is wealthy and she is influential. I was trying to think how to relate to this today, and, and it would seem to me that Lydia would be someone like a combination of like Coco Chanel and Vera Wang and Louisa Vuitton, all in one. I'm aware of what I did there, by the way. So she's wealthy, she's influential, she's a business owner, she owns this lavish home and is very, very generous. We don't know what happened to her husband, he's not in the text, but we are told that this is her household. So what would have been like to be in Lydia's household? Well, it would have included any children if she had children. It would also include extended family, likely, as she would be some sort of a, a patronage for, for her extended family, but it wasn't just that. She owned kind of like a family business, and the folks who helped with her textile enterprise likely lived in her household under her roof. So whatever seamstresses or models who would model the clothing or anyone else needed to run her incredible business likely lived in her household. So she's an influential, successful businesswoman who is also a God worshiper. 
Lydia is a Gentile. She's not Jewish by heredity, but she has chosen to reject the pagan gods and to serve the one God, the monotheistic God of Yahweh that is believed by the Jews. And so she had chosen that. She practiced great hospitality. And likely this little group of women and others uh, may have included people from surrounding Philippi, but at least included her family, her extended family, and these mostly women who were part of her enterprise. And so on the day Paul comes to town, he looks in Philippi for a synagogue, for a church building, if you will, but can't find anything. But he hears, hey, there's this group of women who meet in a van down by the river. Okay, there was no van. But he hears that that may be where people who are following Yahweh are. And so that's where he goes in Philippi. So there are a few things that we can learn from this exchange, from this interaction that would have been true in Paul's day here in Philippi, but I want to fast forward about 2,000 years because I think they're as true today as they were then. As Paul's message, the good news of Jesus is extending beyond every border and boundary into new and fresh territory. And so the first thing we see in the text that I believe we also see in our culture today is this. The further away people are from God, the less likely they are to attend church. The further away people are from the gospel of Jesus, the less likely people in a particular place are to go to church. And so it's the Sabbath day. There are very few believers in Philippi, and, and so of course they're not likely to come to church. Paul always went to the synagogue first, but because he loved Jesus, he loved the church, he knew that he had to find a way to make the good news of Jesus relevant in Philippi. He knew how he approached church would have to change. And so he went where they were. Heartland, I would suggest to you, and this isn't just true because of the COVID season, by the way. This has been true for years, if not decades already. But we live in a very spiritual culture here in America that's increasingly less religious and less Christian. A few statistics kind of, kind of show this. These came from the Pew study in 2016. It says 81% of people in America are, are spiritual. They would say that they're spiritual. Interestingly, though, about 37% regularly go to church. A majority do not. Of those who do not, 80% aren't interested in going to church. They're interested in spiritual things. They may even be interested in Jesus. The problem is they don't think they'll find the answers to their spiritual questions by going to church. 80% are spiritually interested but 80% of those won't come to church. What does it look like to try to be and bring the good news of Jesus into a culture that's less religious, at least according to the Christian faith, who are less likely to go to church? See, there's this, what we're experiencing in culture, and I think we're experiencing today, it feels like a crisis moment, doesn't it? as numbers are declining, as it feels less and less Christ-centered around us. It feels like crisis. People have la labeled it as such. What do you think Jesus sees? What do you think is in the heart of God for this time? I would suggest he sees crisis as both danger 
but also opportunity. See, it's fascinating. I don't know if you're familiar with the Chinese language. I am not very familiar with it. This is the extent of what I know. But I know they use characters uh, to, to reference words as opposed to letters. And do you know what the Chinese character for crisis is? Two little characters coming together to form one word, and that's danger and opportunity. See, when Paul came into Philippi, he loved the church. He knew that God wanted to be the church there, but he also knew how they would do church had to change. He saw danger, but he saw great opportunity. Heartland, this has been true of our history. In fact, we are a church that from the beginning, we had a heart to be a church for the unchurched. That was our mission vision statement for years. How do we build a church for the unchurched? And that worked really well until 10, 15, 20 years ago when more people would come into a building like this. And it's become less effective, though still effective, if that's the extent of the strategy. So over the last few years, we refreshed our vision statement to say, well, we're still for the unchurched. But the way we reach people who won't come here is how do we equip each Heartlander to go where people are? And so we've changed the vision language to we are becoming the church among the unchurched. Same heart for Jesus, same heart for the furthest out, but the strategy in which to do that means we can't rely on folks coming here to hear about Jesus. How do we go and how do we be the church 24-7, 365, where people live and work and study and play? As we learn what it's like to become the church among the unchurched. See, for Paul and Philippi, it actually wasn't a problem that there wasn't a large gathering or a building because he knew that the Jesus movement was alive everywhere and that God would use everyone. Do you believe that? The Jesus movement is alive everywhere and God can use everyone. And in Philippi, who did he use? Well, he used Paul to bring a message, but he had prepared an incredible woman named Lydia who had spent a lifetime loving God and loving people and, and living ways in this extended family, this business enterprise, and she helped them go down by the river and worship and learn about Yahweh. She just didn't yet know the name of Jesus, and that's exactly where Paul found her. Because before the good news of Jesus came through Paul, God's spirit was at work and had been in Lydia's life and in her household. And so she was receptive to the faith, we're told. As Lydia listened, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. See, Heartland, essential to that vision of reaching folks in our city wherever we are, we need to begin with a posture of prayer, but also a posture of expectation because wherever we might go, individually or collectively, the Spirit of God is already there. And the Spirit of God is looking and searching and is able and willing and all the time will use anyone. And so I don't know who your people are or where the place is you want to invest relationally. Maybe that's at your workplace or in your neighborhood. Maybe that's at an activity that you're a part of or a cause that you believe in. 
yours isn't mine and mine isn't yours, but Jesus wants to reach the people in those places. And he wants to send us out, point our arrows out individually and collectively so that we can become the church among the unchurched in our day. It's a powerful thought. So if you've been around Heartland or heard me speak a time or two, you'd likely know that for my family and I, the place we have chosen to invest relationally is around our neighborhood and around our kids' school and the relationships there. And so one of the things that we've done or that I've chosen to do is to help coach my son Drew's sports teams over time. And I'm a very mediocre coach. Uh, but I love the time that I get with Drew and then investing in his friends and then also getting to know the parents and the friends and family of this group of what will be fifth grade boys. And I got to tell you, it has been a thrill just uh, being part of that community, building that community. And that's a great way to try to live Jesus first imperfectly, but try to do so uh, in and among a group of people who've become really dear to me. And so there's this one couple that has a special place in our heart. Our sons have played sports together uh, for years now. And I learned pretty early that, that they weren't that interested in church. <laughs> At one time I was speaking, I invited them to come, and, and the, the mom said, oh, oh, no, I am not stepping in foot in church because there's been a backstory there where it's not a safe place. But she said, hey, send me the message. I'd love to hear it. I love stuff like that. So I did. And she gave great feedback and response. And, and since then, she's become a great resource for sermon prep. Hey, here's an idea. What do you think? Sometimes it's, that's great. Sometimes it's like, that's pathetic. But it's such a helpful idea, way of engaging spiritually that's been so life-giving, I believe, to her, but also to me. Well, one of my favorites was I got a text one Sunday morning that, that had a picture, and it was of a, a, some, a teacher on the stage, a church service. I don't think it was ours. I think it was a different one. And she just said, I'm here on vacation or whatever, drinking a Bellini. Does this count as church? And I think she was kind of being funny, but I also think she wanted to know my thoughts. And I replied, well, of course that counts as church. I wish I was there with you right now which was kind of a joke and kind of not. Here's the thing. If we're going to become the church among the unchurched, we know that God loves the church. We know that we are the church, but we're going to have to find ways of being and doing church differently in similar ways that Paul did. Now, an hour on Sunday, whether we're gathered here or online, isn't all that there is to church, nor is streaming a service every now and then. That's not the end in mind. But that counts. We're learning what it looks like to become the church among the unchurched. And so what we've seen over the last few years is we love the vision, we love the idea, we feel like it comes from God, but it can be hard for an individual like you and I, to know what to do about that. And so as we were thinking and dreaming and praying, we wanted to say, how could a 12-year-old understand how to take God's vision and make it practical in an everyday way? And so we landed on this mission statement that we just love. It just simply says this, well, we make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. 
How does God accomplish what he wants in macro ways in our city and beyond? Well, if each one of us will make space and in that space build relationships with people who become dear to us. And as that's happening, if we will endeavor reading scriptures and and prayer and all those things to make Jesus first. That's how God will accomplish in our time, in our day, through our church, individually and collectively. That's how he will accomplish what he wants to do in Kansas City, in Olathe, Kansas, as he did in Philippi back then. See, Jesus still loves the church and we, Heartland, we are the church. But how we're doing church will have to change in light of these times. And I'm not saying we won't gather when we can. We will. But to accomplish what Jesus wants to do in our day, it's not about gathering or scattering, live stream or the like, as important as those things are. And it certainly isn't about the paid staff or the person on the stage giving an inspiring message. What it is all about is every person, man, woman, and child, taking Jesus' message seriously, taking his heart of love to every person in every place that Jesus has called them to. And how do they do that? How do you do that? You make some space and you build relationships as you follow the Spirit of God and making Him first in your life. We believe that will happen in the lives of people around you. Third point from Lydia, God's movement in one's person's life can transform a home, a household, a community, and the world. God had prepared for and opened up Lydia's heart. She accepted what Paul was saying, and then she and her household believed. They were already there. They were down by the river. They were worshiping Yahweh. They just needed to know the name of Jesus, which Paul shared. And so they all entered the kingdom of heaven on the same day. Isn't that beautiful? So Heartland, this is about God's dream for his church, and you're a part of that. Do you see yourself in this vision? Have you been able to make that mission practical, just in everyday ways, making space to build relationships to make Jesus first? Are you experiencing the revolutionary Jesus first life as God equips you as you're going forth, and you get to be a person who embodies and brings Good news. So I want to give you three questions at the beginning of our series, our six-part series, as we conclude the book of Acts together. And they're this. First, where are you making space for God to move? Where are you making space for God to move? In our day, it is a lot easier to ask people to donate money than it is to ask people to give of their time because time for many of us is our most valuable resource. And in fact, we're actually given some time back during this time. But where are you making space for God to move? Second question, who are you intentionally building relationships with right now? Who are those people that God has laid on your heart to pray for, to invest in relationship with? Who are those people right now? And third question, how are you making Jesus first in your daily life? And what, if anything, is standing in the way? 
How are you practically making Jesus first? Because as he becomes first and foremost in your life, that's going to uh, invade every aspect of where you live and work and study and play. When Jesus transforms a person's life, it has the power to change the world. And guess what? That starts with you and that starts with me. Common, everyday people who live extraordinary lives just like Lydia did in Philippi. Have one quote I found about Lydia that I want to conclude this section with. It just says, Lydia is the only Philippian convert who is named in Acts, and we know that the Philippian church met in her home. So she is most likely, the most likely person to have led and cared for the first congregation in Philippi. Women such as Lydia were not at the margins in the first decades of the Jesus movement. They were not silent in the churches or ineffective in evangelism. They cared for the local congregations and were vital and strategic players at the forefront of the expanding Christian mission. A church was established in Philippi because of Lydia's open heart and her open home, and it grew because of her patronage, her initiative, her courage, and her ministry. Because of Jesus, a whole city was changed. And that happened in the life of Lydia. When God wants to bring a movement to a people or a place, it of course begins with prayer and it begins with people going and sharing the good news. But so often, if you look through the pages of scripture or church history, it's movements of women who are at the forefront of taking the good news of Jesus everywhere through the love and generosity around the table and around the playground and around the workplace and all of those things. It happens. And so if you're a woman in our congregation, and maybe more importantly, if you are a young girl, we want you to know that you are needed, that you are desired, that you are a front runner in the Jesus movement in our church, in our city, in our world today. We need your voice, we need your leadership, we need your service. We want to follow you in all the places where you are investing as we become the church among the unchurched wherever we are. And we have some great examples around that, uh, about that around here. And we'll close with this, just one example. Many of you know this modern day Lydia in our midst by the name of Sarah Stoffer. Sarah Stoffer has been at Heartland for decades. I first met her when I was a college intern. She and Ward invited some of us guys into some mentoring relationships, invited us to her home way back then in the 90s. And she's been on staff at Heartland, serving in Heartland Kids for 23 years and just doing a beautiful job. And what she does in spades is just simply that mission statement. She's been doing it for decades. We just stole it from people like her, where she has made space to build relationships that have made Jesus first. And so she's done that week in and week out as she's the first voice to give hugs and a smile as people go into Heartland Kids, but she's also done that around her home and her house and her neighborhood. It used to be that around her table, people would come and be discipled and encouraged and, and transformed. And, and since COVID, it's more around the front porch, but that community is still happening because that's the home that she has created along with her husband, Ward. They just do this naturally, beautifully. We've been blessed by that at Heartland, and, and our city has been blessed as they've chosen to do that day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out for decades. 
Sarah is one of those Lydia people to me, and it's changed lives. It's changed families. It's changed generations. It's changed a neighborhood. It's changed our church culture. It may have even changed the life of your son or daughter, or you may have been one of those young men or young women invested in by people like Sarah. And through your life changed by her life, you've had the opportunity to change the lives of others just because she has made space to build those relationships and that has put Jesus first. And so Sarah is someone we should celebrate at all times, and hopefully we have done so, but especially today, because today represents her last day of full-time employment uh, at Heartland Community Church. Sarah Stoffer is resigning from professional ministry, but she is not resigning from loving Jesus and loving every person in front of her. And so we just wanted to celebrate her today, and we'll find ways that you can participate in the next weeks. Uh, but if you are a fa- uh, part of a family and, and have young kids, we'd love to invite you to come out between 12 and 1 and grab one of those family fun packets to get you through July wherever you are, and Sarah will be there. And so we'll find ways to celebrate her corporately, but we'd encourage you to do so personally if she has touched your life as she has mine and my family and my children as well. Heartland, we want to be a people. We want to be a church full of people like Sarah we want, who live that revolutionary life of Jesus, putting him and his purposes first above our own We want to be a people who love the church, who are the church, even during times where what it looks like to go to church has changed. We are part of living out God's mission, what he wants in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the world. We're his plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. Because just like in the days of Philippi, in the days of Jesus, in our day, the good news flows through relationships. And so we'd love to invite you to join us through this series as we make space, individually and collectively, to build relationships and endeavor, as always, to make Jesus first. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you that we can gather even though we're all over the community and city. Lord, will you be with us individually and collectively as your sons and daughters? Will you encourage us, strengthen us, and challenge us in whatever ways we're experiencing just life right now? Will you give us a fire in our heart for you and eyes to see others around us and clarity about what it looks like? to enlarge in small ways through the one life we've been given, to carve out time and margin, to have eyes to see the people you've placed in our lives, to cultivate those relationships. And as we're loving and serving you in natural ways, will you draw men and women, boys and girls, into the kingdom through our lives in our day? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hartland. Have a great week.